You may be seated. Children, uh, you're dismissed to Children's Church. You can see Mrs. Ryko over there. Uh, everybody else, let's open up our Bibles together. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're visiting, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 7. It's Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to pick up at verse 7 and go through verse 12. Hey, Ryan, get the light. Oh, there, let it be light. Uh, Matthew 7, 7. This is God's holy word. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of one of you, if his son asks for a bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon this time. Lord, as we uh, open up your scriptures, as we consider prayer, uh, we need your help. Even as we're praying now, we're acknowledging that we, we need you. We need divine intervention. We need you to illuminate truth. We need you to remove distractions that are in our midst. And ultimately, God, we need to see you. So that is our, our prayer today. And unless you do it, uh, our time is in vain. So we pray that you would indeed do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When is the last time that you asked for help? When's the last time you asked for help? Uh, do you find it difficult seeking assistance in life? Because I think for a lot of us, I, I don't want to blanket statement for everybody. I think there is a lot of us who have a spirit of self-sufficiency. I mean, think about it. Back before there were smartphones, before there was GPS on your, in your vehicles, if you went somewhere, you would either have a hard, like, physical map, or you would write down directions of where you were going, and then you would drive, and hopefully the directions were good. And if we want to stereotype what person is not going to ask for help, man or a woman, everybody, man, the man. So you would drive by the gas, in, in the place that you would have to stop, you're supposed to ask, where do you go? The what? The gas station. So you would drive by the gas station two or three times. The wife would be like, maybe we should stop and ask. And, and the self-sufficient husband would be like, no, I, I got this. I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to get my bearings. I, I know where I'm going. And indeed, you obviously don't since you never end up at the destination. I've literally seen a person upstairs in the weight room with a barbell stuck on their chest because they overestimated how much weight they could lift. And I've watched people run over to help them and they've said, I'm fine. I'm good. This is exactly what I was planning on doing. I don't need your help. 
And I think the reality is it hurts our pride to admit we're lacking. We don't like to acknowledge that we need help. Yet the life of the Christian is when we are, we are aware of how needy we truly are. I would even argue the more you mature in your faith, the more you realize how deficient and how inadequate you are in and of yourself. That we are truly dependent on the Lord for everything. And what prayer is, it's the evidence of our helplessness. Prayer is admitting we need divine intervention. So that's what we're going to see, the divine intervention of prayer as we look at our passage today. Uh, We'll begin with Jesus giving us an encouragement to pray. He's going to motivate us. He's going to inspire us. He's going to give us some incentive that prayer is worth the effort. Secondly, we're going to see an example from people that we're going to look at human parents who tend to in some capacity bless and care for their children And if we can expect that from human parents, how much greater is God's blessing going to be upon his children? And then lastly, we'll wrap up our time as we look at the expectation to practice. We're going to see the golden rule and how that relates to all of this stuff as we uh, unpack the passage. So let's get started. Let's pick up at verse 7 as we see the encouragement to pray. Now last week we, we, we saw this transition in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is dealing with uh, his, the people and he's dealing with human relationships. And last week the problem that was going on that he's confronting was self-righteousness. Everybody was judging everybody. And we're not talking about using discernment and using wisdom and biblically judging as we're sometimes called to do, but it was petty, critical spirit. And he said, enough of that. None of you are worthy to be judging because you should be judged in and of yourself. Well, now instead of uh, self-righteousness that we're going to confront, Jesus confronts self-sufficiency. That there's a spirit of a lack of neediness that he's going to Uh, go at. So first of all, they need to be aware. They need to be aware. Listen to what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So immediately as we, we, we see this, if you remember the previous verses, we're starting to wonder why the transition from judging to prayer. It seems a little bit kind of like a grocery list where you have random stuff next to random stuff, and like, how did that happen? I I think what we're starting to see with Jesus is he's acknowledging that the bar has been raised, that the bar has been raised over the course of the sermon. He is, he's really, he's confronting the spiritual bankruptcy of the people that he's speaking to who think that they're wealthy, spiritually speaking. I mean, like, right now, look at that basketball hoop right there. If you notice something, it is lowered. That is not at 10 feet. I think it can maybe even go a little lower. The lower it goes, the percentage of of, of people in this room that could probably grab the rim or maybe even dunk is higher, right? Now, if I move it back up to 10 feet, there's probably somebody in here, not Jason Quinn, but somebody else. Jason's looking at me like, why are you calling me out? 
My, my son would argue he could do it, but then he would, if he missed it, he'd be like, my broken cast, it's not my fault. What if I could raise the rim to 12 feet? Is anybody in here dunking it? What if I could raise it to 15 feet? I mean, it's just, it's that raising of bars of expectation. And what Jesus has been doing time and again, because the, the, the Pharisees thought they could dunk it on 10 foot. They thought they, were, they had it, they were good, they knew the rules, they were, they were achieving the spiritual righteousness that they thought. And Jesus is saying that is not the case. Remember, don't murder, but if you've called a brother a fool, what are you? A murderer. Don't commit adultery, but if you've lusted before, you're an adulterer. He's already called them last week. He said you have a log sticking out of your eyes. This week, he's going to say you're evil. Matthew 5, 48, he says, be perfect. Galatians 3, 10 says, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And I think we need to realize, do we believe this? That spiritual, like our own righteousness, the bar is so high if we're going to quote unquote achieve it. Because the bar can't be cleared by our own strength. Just listen to what he says here. The three verbs that he, he says, they all imply a neediness, a something that we don't have but we want to attain. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. When we ask for something, what do we, we're asking for something because we don't have it. On Friday, Josh, my, my junior hire, comes up to me. He's like, I need $2. Can I please have $2? They do casual for a cause. He can wear jeans, and the money goes to a local ministry or some kind of mission or something. So, like, he asked because he didn't have $2, so he needed. Understand? So that's what we do. We ask because we need. We seek. We seek because we have something that we don't have, and we want to find it. Have you ever lost something? I mean, you, you, I guarantee you've, you've lost keys in the house, you've lost that bill, you've lost, and you're like going and scrambling and searching and putting forth a lot of effort because you are hoping to find what you have lost. And then he says, knock, and it will be open to you. Knock implies what? That we're on the outside and we would like to get inside. And when you knock, it also implies what? Probably a series of knocking, I mean, we've been to houses, and maybe they, the doorbell wasn't working, and, and you keep, maybe knock a little harder, because you're like, I know they're there. You think they're turning the lights off, trying to pretend like they're, that we're not here? So that, it, it's that implied awareness of our neediness that we see going on here, that only God can meet. Listen to what Jesus says, John 15, 5. And these are such pivotal words, friends, for us to really write upon our hearts. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So what did he just say? You can do a little? You can do some? No, he says you can do nothing I can't do this. John 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him study hard. No. Just let him ask God. Heart to heart, we need to look in the mirror and we need to acknowledge that we are lacking. 
Do you see how needy you are in your own strength? Or are you too self-sufficient? Are you too self-sufficient? Because I think a lot of us, if we're being vulnerable with each other, we think we've got this together. We're saved by grace, but we live the Christian life in our own strength. That I just needed the grace to get me in, but once I got in, I'm able to do my thing. And that is not at all what the Bible teaches us. So they need to be aware, but they also need to act. Listen to what he says. Consider all these actions. Everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. It implies that his people will pursue him in prayer. But notice the abundant possibilities promised here in this passage. Everyone who asks will receive. If the one seeks, guess what? They'll find. If you knock, it will be open. He doesn't seem to put limits on his hearers. Everyone, it, it is a, a glorious promise. We do our grocery shopping primarily at Kroger, and Kroger does digital coupons. The one thing that annoys me about digital coupons with Kroger is the really good deals, there's always a limit of five. So after five, you're back to normal pricing. So it's, it's a limit of five People probably would abuse it, I understand, but it still frustrates me nonetheless. God doesn't put any coupon limits on these promises. Do you understand that? Now, it doesn't mean this is a, a, a blank check that if you ask anything, God, I want a million dollars, and then all of a sudden somebody walks in that door with a, a bag of money to hand to me. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. But there is an abundance of possibilities of what God can and will do when you and I pray. It implies that we'll keep asking, we'll seek, we'll knock. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So I, I do want us to consider, do you limit what is possible through prayer? Do you pray small? Because this is a faith element we're talking about. I think often we don't pray because we don't believe prayer works. Or we believe that God is annoyed by us. It works for some people, but I'm more of an annoyance to God, so I don't want to bug him do you understand that? Do you devalue prayer? But not only the abundant possibilities, notice it's an active pursuit. The spiritual life is one out of activity. Awareness of our neediness will lead to action in prayer. So there is uh, the expectations for a healthy adult in the United States is to take 10,000 steps a day. So 10,000. So for those of you who have a, maybe on your watch or on your phone, keep track of steps, 10,000 is the, the minimum. To be healthy, you need to get about 10,000 steps in. I want to say it's like maybe five to six miles, maybe something in that neighborhood, if I, if I remember what I was reading. Guess what the average American steps are? Three to 4,000. So less than half of the steps of expectation to be healthy. I think our spiritual step count, God has is a lot higher expectation 
than reality for you and I. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not what? You do not ask. There's no room for an inactive faith. 1 John 5, 14, he says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if, notice he says if, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I think the great tendency of our heart is to not ask. We don't ask because we don't believe in prayer. We don't ask because we don't believe that God wants to hear from us. We don't ask because we feel like we are, inad- we are adequate in and of ourselves. We're self-sufficient. But I think if we truly grasp our neediness, we should be praying all the time. Do you understand that? What should be shocking amongst God's people is that they take time off from praying rather than that they pray a lot. But we don't get the neediness. And because we don't get the neediness, we don't pray because we think we're all good and everything. Well, are you faithfully seeking God through prayer? Are you intentionally and purposeful in your prayer life? Because that's God's desire. But it's not just simply that there's a need and we should pray. God gives incentive as we're going to go on. Because he, he doesn't want us to pray just simply out of duty, out of obligation, that life is so tough and you need to pray and I expect you to pray. No, he wants us to pray because, man, this is an awesome opportunity. Let's look at the example from people. He uses the example of what to expect when we pray. First of all, it says, take human parents. Read verse 8 with me. He says, for everyone who asks and receives, and the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. First of all, he's acknowledging that we as parents tend to give good to our children. But imagine this. So you've got a child, you've got a young child, and they're hungry, and they need nourishment. And they want bread. And you give them a stone that looks like bread. They pick it up. It's a little bit heavier. They bite into it. They chip their tooth. Or maybe it's a smaller piece. They end up choking on it. Like, are we judging? I know we're not supposed to judge from last week. That's some bad parenting. That's a practical joke gone bad. I've done that a couple times. Like, there's a line where don't joke too much with your kids because it can end up being a, a, not a good thing. Then also, the other one is like, okay, your son is hungry, wants fish. You give him a serpent. So they open up the box. Yeah, the fish is in there. You step back, and all of a sudden, what's the serpent going to do? Bite them, maybe kill them? Like, most parents... I'm willing to say 99% of the parents in this room are not going to give your child a rock when they ask for bread, and you're not going to give them a serpent when they ask for fish. He's acknowledging that. And what he's saying is even wicked people show love to those who they, in some capacity, should love. Matthew 5.46, we already looked at this uh, with regards to loving our enemies. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And the truth is, bad parents buy birthday presents. 
Bad parents throw birthday parties. Bad parents can even get a cake for their kid. That's not that shocking. Now, there are bad parents that don't do any of that stuff, but generally speaking, there's, there's a decency in some capacity with a human for somebody that they have been used to create that they feel like this obligation, this duty to extend uh, some sense of love towards. I mean, think of the examples in your own life. Have you seen either your parents showing love towards you through things like that, or you through your children? Great gifts you've given, things like that. Because we give good. But here's, here's the harsh thing. We aren't good. We give good, but you and I aren't good. Because like Jesus, he just doesn't mince words. Right there in the moment. Did you read it? I mean, it just, we kind of read it without even thinking twice. He said, if you then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Kind of harsh, Jesus. He's already said you have a plank eye. You've got a log coming out of your eye. Now he looks at them and says, yeah, you're, you're, you're evil. And that's the reality. I don't think we appreciate that truth. That you and I, by our very nature, in and of ourselves, we're, we're evil. We were, uh, they recognized Seniors Friday at the Toledo Christian football game. My daughter was recognized as senior cheerleader. And they, all the kids did a bio little thing where they read about all of that, you know, these are the moments I like, this is my favorite Bible verse, and thank you to these people and that. And then, so we were at number five of, I think, 13, so I got to listen to everybody's as we we're standing out there in the cold. And um, like two of the people later, the one person, she's like, and I just want to thank my parents, who are the best parents in the whole wide world. And I'm like, I have a couple t-shirts that would strongly disagree with that. World's greatest dad. So he might be in the running. No, but like, I think that's the reality as we think of like parenting and stuff. You and I, we compare ourselves to other parents and we might not be as bold to say I'm a better dad than that dude or a better mom than that. But there's that, that weird comparison that you and I do where we compare ourselves to other people and we either feel a lot better about ourselves as we compare, or in some situations we compare and we are a little intimidated, feel a little inferior because of the greatness of that person. And here's the, the problem in what Jesus is confronting is you and I are comparing to the wrong person. What we should be doing is comparing ourselves to God. And that should be quite humbling. Do you understand that? You who are evil, Romans 3.10, I mean, there's... The, there's no asterisk here. There's no exception to what Jesus says or what Paul says in, in Romans 3.10. He says, there is no one who is righteous. There is no not one. No one understands. No one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And the truth is, kids ask imperfect, sinful parents, and it still leads to blessings by God's grace and mercy. So do you have a proper understanding of yourself? Do you have a, a proper expectation of who you are? Because we take human parents, let's now trust in our Heavenly Father. He goes on and says, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things 
to those who ask him. First of all, our Father in heaven is what? He is good. I was looking for a product last week, and at the place I was comparing all the, the particular uh, products of this, this item, I was looking for a portable scanner. And they had a, a chart, and each thing, it went this fast, it, you needed to use Wi-Fi, you didn't, and, and you kind of compare and then be able to price uh, what, which product costs less, which one costs more, but also what the features are. Like, if we're going to do a feature category comparison of, of God the Father and us as human parents, our side has got nothing. Do you understand that? And God's has every box checked. And that's what he's saying here. The contrast is designed to be startling. Mark 10, 18 says, no one is good except God. Sinful parents give to the children what? How much more should we expect a perfect and holy God giving to his children? Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We always say it, all every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Father of lights. James 1.17, he always acts out of his goodness. We, we sing about the goodness of God. So do you believe that? I mean, I know you, you, you know it theologically. I know you could answer the question, but do you, on a personal level, believe that God is good? You trust him, because not only is he good, in his goodness, he gives greater. He gives greater. Listen to what he says. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? We have a, I think we've seen people where one person gets more than others. They do a senior gift for athletes at school and the cheerleaders get responsible for giving them. And sometimes, it, it's funny, because like I've been there before when I've seen it happen, where one cheater, cheerleader uh, just bought a candy bar for the kid, and then the, the other athlete gets like a bag. And like he's like, what? Like The one dude's like, what in the world? Like This doesn't f- seem fair. This doesn't seem equity. And it's, it's that kind of like human parents kind of give good stuff God blows our mind. God is extravagant. God is lavish. And how is he giving us greater things? He answers prayers. That's, that's the heart of what we're looking at here. That God answers prayers. Specifically, he answers Luke eleven thirteen. If then you who are evil, this is the equivalent in Luke, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give? Listen to this the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's how we start seeing God answering these prayers. God gives himself to us. God empowers us. God equips us. He answers our prayers. There's spiritual blessings that we have in Christ and earthly blessings that the expectations are so grand and so high, and yet you and I don't pray. We have all of, of this abundance is sitting there waiting for God to lavish on us. And he has ordained not only that, but he has ordained the means by which that's going to happen is that you and I would pray. 
that we would seek him, that we would ask him, that we would, that we would knock, and yet we don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. And we wonder why we're not experiencing these things. Philippians 4, 9 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, praying is more than a religious exercise. Prayer is relational. Prayer is knowing that we have a God in heaven who is our Father, and he loves us, and he cares for us. You've probably heard it on the radio. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. Well, can you testify to the goodness of God? Can you even think right now of all the ways that he has answered prayers? It always amazes me as I look out at the congregation 18 plus years from when Ryan and I started the church uh, that we're still going strong. It it's an answer to prayer. I look out at some of the families individually and I see the, not perfection, but I see the growth. I see the maturity that has taken place over a decade of, of being able to be in your life. And those are answers to prayers. And the list goes on and on. And I think if we went around this room and let people share just answered prayers, it would be, we could be here all day. And yet we don't pray. So we see this encouragement to pray, an example from people. Uh, let's look at the ex expectation to practice. What is the end game focus that God expects of his children? Now, you need to realize when we read the Bible, these sections are made up. So where it says like the golden rule in your Bible, that was not in the original text. You're trying, they divided up when they did translations and verses and stuff. I'm not saying that 12 doesn't have a place with 13 and 14, but I feel like it has more of a place with verses 7 to 11. That's why we read it today. But let's look at the best treatment. Let's look at the expectation to practice the best treatment. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So he's acknowledged, all right, don't judge. Then he's acknowledged to, uh, you need God's help to do what he says. And God is a good father and he blesses us. And he's kind of like playing off of that in light of God, in light of, of what God does, you and I are to follow in the footsteps of the Lord and love on humanity, the golden rule. So we got positive and negative aspects of this golden rule. First of all, it says, don't, when we say, I whatever you wish that others would do to you, it includes what you'd want them to not do to you. Do you understand that? So there's a negative side to this. One of them would be in the very first couple verses of the chapter, you and I should not what? We should not judge, because we don't like to be judged. So don't judge people. Uh, Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, he has a song, Things to Not Say to Your Wife. And some of the lyrics go, uh, don't say that the dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. Uh, where'd you get those shoes? I think they're lame. Would you stop talking? I'm trying to watch the game. Those are things that you don't say to your wife. And there are a lot of things, those are funny, but I, I think in all honesty, let's think about it. There are things that you just don't want done to you. You don't like people gossiping about you. You don't like people disrespecting you and all that stuff. Well, flip the, the, it, the same should be true of how you treat other people. You don't do those things. Colossians 3, 9 says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So we're to do to others 
what we would not want done to you. So understand. So like, it's important, even on that, to catch yourself. Like you, think of all the ways that people agitate you. All right? Now, stop doing those things to other people. But not only the negative side, there's the positive side. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. So you've ever known somebody at work who they get, they're in a work environment where their boss is amazing. And you look at your own work and the boss is not amazing. There's a degree of envy and jealousy. Man, I, mean, I would love for my boss to treat me with such respect and such dignity. And that's kind of that idea that you and I, we, we, we go above and beyond. We quote unquote kill people in, with kindness. That we just, we love on people as followers of Jesus. Colossians 3.12 so you're supposed to put off the one thing, and then he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive others. And notice all of this, this you and I treating others the way you would want them to treat you, it says nothing about how they treat you. This is not like a real-life tennis match that if they hit it to you, you hit it back to them. Do you understand? Are you doing those positives in people's life? Or are you more performance-based? Hey, I love people that treat me well, and I treat people poorly that despise me. Because guess who does that? The world. But we as Christians, we're not of the world. We... we, we we treat people with dignity and respect who hate us. So the best treatment is that, but then here's the bigger truth. He goes on and says, for this is the law and the prophets. And what we see happening right here is Jesus is tying this passage in to the whole sermon as well to just redemptive history. Immediate context, we see the Father's loving and giving, and in response of his loving giving to us, you and I are to love and give to others and to pray for them and to pray about them. Matthew 5, says, I say to you, they're asking about, can, can you sum up the law? And he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And this is what we do as Christians. We keep the love going that's from the Father to humanity. We keep it on. We are the extension of that love, that that love needs to shine. It's nearing Christmas, and for those of you who do Christmas lights, especially the outside lights, uh, the, the frustrating thing is if you, you hang them all up, you plug it in, and what happens? Nothing. And what do you have to do? You got to un wind it, you got to go and you got to check each bulb, because if there's a bulb, it'll kind of mess up the whole lights. And, and I think what God is saying here for you and I is let the bulbs not be out. That you and I, because of Christ, because of what God has done for us, we are to be the light that shines. That's, that's what the Bible is all about. The, the Bible says the law and the prophets, it's always pointing to Jesus, for me, that was revolutionary in seminary. I don't think I ever had heard kind of the, the big picture of redemption in the Bible until I was at seminary. The Old Testament had cool stories, 
something about Samson and Delilah, and there was a flood, and there was this Goliath that David killed. But in general, I had no comprehension that all of the Old Testament was always pointing ahead. It was always pointing forward. It was, it was always pointing towards Jesus. So even as we talk about all this, this the big picture of, of life is for you to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, because that is the gospel. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, human relationships matter. Did you hear that? How you and I treat other people matters to God. Because I think we've created this dichotomy that I can have my relationship with God and I can have my relationship with people. And with God, I'm loving and I'm devoted and I go to church every week and I read the Bible and I pray and I give and I'm so good. But then in this category, it's hit or miss. If you're good to me, I'll treat you good. But man, if you, if you cross me, I will cross you. And what the law the prophets and the Bible is always pointing towards that those relationships would blend. That how we love and are devoted to Christ, we ultimately are loving and devoted to people. Or are you missing that point? Do you see the connecting nature of love? Is it okay to be loveless as a Christian? Is love an optional component in your faith? Because if you think it is, you do not understand the gospel. Jesus goes so far as to say, if, in, in, in 1 John, he says, if you do not love, you do not know God. I was watching a video this past week, not sure how old it was, not sure of location. I, I do believe it was outside of the country. A child had fallen into some well, and everybody's panicking, and you have police and firefighters and paramedics and everything, and it was desperate. And what they ended up deciding was they took a child to go rescue the child. The child was a little bit older, but he was narrow enough to flip upside down, hold him by his feet, and dangle him down to where he would be able to grab the child, hold on, and then they would be able to pull up the child. But the one thing I saw uh, in the midst of that is people all around were doing what? They're praying. They are praying. It was a desperate situation. And obviously, uh, it, end, it turned out well. I would not have shared this story. Uh, the little boy is a hero. He gets the child out. His boy was hanging, life was hanging in the balance. And I think in moments like that, everyone, even atheists at times, pray for divine intervention. But here's, here's the difficulty. Most of our life does not feel as desperate. Do you understand most of our lives, our child is not at the bottom of a well, and if we don't rescue them soon, they're going to die. That's not most of our life. Most of our life is filled with the mundane, just the routine run of the mill of the life. And because it's not as desperate, you and I don't act desperately. 
But we need to understand even the mundane, even your routine Monday morning, if you have the right spiritual glasses on, you understand how desperate Monday morning is. The fact that you wake up and are breathing is God's supernatural grace. The fact that you're able to make it from destination A to destination B without your vehicle breaking down, without you getting killed in a car accident, is God's grace and mercy. You understand, like, we're missing out on the desperate nature of life because we think we've got it all together. And friends, we don't have it all together. We need Jesus. You needed Jesus to save you. You need Jesus to sustain you every day of your life. And I think when we start realizing the desperate nature of life, it will inevitably lead to you and I being men and women and children of pray, of prayer. Because weak, needy people, that's all they have to do. That's all they have left. Desperation, desperate times calls for what? Desperate measures. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you right now and we acknowledge uh, often that we are not needy, at least in our own awareness. You know that we need you. We thank you for your patience, your long suffering with us. But I pray for all of us here today that God, you would begin to produce a change in our hearts and in our minds that we would be a people who would truly see our need for you and that it would be evident in how uh, faithful and how fervently we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.